0: Hello, welcome to Interdependent Study, our podcast where we
1: engage in the learning and unlearning work for collective liberation. I'm Damian. And I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today. Each week, we'll bring something new to the table, discuss our thoughts and feelings about it through the lenses of who we are and where we can go for a more just society. We want
0: interdependent study to be a space where we're always learning with one another. Mm-hmm. And Aaron is up this week. Yeah. What
1: have you brought to the table today? I am bringing Black Class Matters, which is an article published in the summer 2023 issue of Hammer and Hope. Right. It's written by Kianga Yamada Taylor. And it dives into the complexity of class and race and how they can interact in such a way as to become a barrier to progress right. for lots of people. And there's a lot of great examples here of the different ways that political figures claim to be pro black because they appear to be the better options mm. versus other people. Yeah. Uh, so there's a whole section about Trump in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. That, <laughs> that time in our lives. Yeah, I guess that's self explanatory. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. There's analysis in here about Biden and, as mentioned before, Trump, Obama, black mayors in 2020. Former U.S. Senator Carol Mosley Braun and a bunch of other people and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, it's really I think complex. It's nuanced, and it was deep. It it gave me a lot to think about. Yes. and a lot to think about what to talk about here because there's a lot of directions that we could go. Yeah, but yeah. So what did you? What about you? What do you think?
0: Yeah, it was a, it was a long piece. It uh, was. Uh, yeah. So I, I agree with you. There was definitely. A, it gave me a lot to think about as well. I thought. This was a really great article, Mm -hmm. and I thought that she provided such a thorough and insightful analysis of certainly all the things you talked about and also all of the ways in which the construct of class is at play here, particularly for Black people in this country, Mm -hmm. right? And it certainly is at play in terms of politics and elections, like you mentioned, but it's also at play in terms of just Black life in general and Black community and, and our larger society. And so... I think in terms of political power and black political power and the ways in which our our government and our elected officials serve and support us was really a central piece of of this article. One of the main points in this article that I thought resonated with me in particular is that all of this has a tremendous impact on the everyday lives and lived experiences of black people. Mm -hmm. And so... I think about that, especially in terms of how our government and elected officials see us and treat us and serve us in in, in this article, how they talk about us, talk to us, talk about us. At one point, Keanu Amata-Taylor said this about what then-candidate for president Biden said about Black people and their vote for him. So the quote is this. Did Blackness confer such a political uniformity that even someone like Biden could say that a vote for him was a vote for the interests of Black Americans? If that's true, why has it been hard to sustain a movement against racism in the United States? Mm -hmm. And like that to me was such a brilliant question to ask in response to that in in his notion of what he said. And it's a question that I think all of us need to wrestle with in terms of politics and elections, but also with every aspect of our lives. Why Mm -hmm. are things the way that they are? Why is it so difficult to sustain a movement that makes real progress for black people in this country. Yeah,
1: I think that was a that got right to the point of yes. well, if <laughs> if you are the person who is going to be and you represent the party that has said yes. that it's going to be the most progressive in terms of racial politics, why are we not there yet. Yeah, right? why haven't we had a sustained movement? Yes. Yeah, It's a great question. Absolutely. To ask. One of the other things that stood out to me was an extension of something I said last week. Um, sort of. It was a much better version of something I said last week, okay. which I think is what we could expect. I said that identity can't always equal politics. Right. And Kiangi yamada Taylor writes her own part of this, but also quotes Olufemi Taiwo and writes. Quote, the idea that one's lived experience supplants knowledge or politics is what the philosopher Olufemi Taiwo described as deference epistemology. Mm. The assumption that the racial politics of the moment would put a person beyond reproach is a powerful rejoinder. So that's way better than what I said. <laughs> a little bit, it, yes. Yeah. It's, it's a it's a more fleshed out version of what I said. It's got a lot more analysis in it. Yeah. But we can also get caught up in the notion that our lived experiences supplant knowledge or politics, but that's obviously not true when we think about people who hold dominant identities. Yeah. Right? So as a white person, my personal lived experiences would not necessarily confirm to me that white supremacy is as real as it is because I don't personally experience it in a way where I'm on the receiving end of that correct right? uh so therefore my personal experiences that are, do they hold the same level of value in that space no like i understand that and i have analysis about that because i've gained some knowledge to be able to talk about it right Semi-coherently, semi coherently <laughs> semi uh, emphasis on that um so you know if we hold a power analysis or an intersectional approach to politics or media or just public figures, I guess, and each other, right? and understand that our class influences our race, influences our gender, influences, et cetera, et cetera, then we can see that like a rich black person might be more aligned with other rich people than with what more black people are demanding in general across the board who don't have access to the same wealth. That's so true. That's
0: so true. I was excited to see her quote, Olufemi Taiwo. Yeah for her to use his work in in this analysis. And I thought it was so spot on and I appreciate how you applied that analysis to yourself there. I think that's important for anyone listening who maybe is trying to figure out how that analysis might apply to them. So I, thought, I think that's great. I appreciate that. You know, related to Taiwo's concept, deference epistemology, was this other quote um, from this piece that set out to me. Uh, So the quote is this. Black politicians suggest that a shared racial identity means their election alone will fix black communities, makes it appear that the hard work to forge solidarity and engage in political struggle is unnecessary. Mm -hmm. Some describe this gap between promises and outcomes as selling out or even betrayal, Yet black elected officials complain of being held to a higher standard by the media or black voters who they claim hold unrealistic expectations for change. But these officials make made false promises as black insiders working on behalf of the community, which prompted new questions about how to achieve change. Mm-hmm. And, so, mm-hmm. and so all of this to me boils down to that work that she mentions at the front of that quote of forging solidarity and engaging in political struggle. That work is absolutely, without a doubt, necessary. And it aligns with your point that identity can't always equal politics to me. Yeah. And I, you know, we are whole people. <laughs> we mm-hmm. are more than just our race when it comes to our lived experiences. We're more than just our class when it comes to, you know, our lived experiences, our, our needs and our humanity. And so to me, that was such a huge takeaway. And I just appreciated you know, the connection to Taiwo's work there and there was a lot to sort of sit with there and think yeah.
1: about what this means for us and what it means for our future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. And I think that there's so much in all of that to, for us to unpack individually, but yeah. also collectively how you operate in a group. If you're organizing with people, if you're just I don't know, working on pe- stuff, like yes. what, what do you do with your neighbors? How do you connect with them? All of that uh, is all in that um, piece. But also think about the power dynamic of who's holding power in your Mm. government, who are your elected officials, and how are they doing some of that same stuff. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. So uh, great stuff. Another thing that stuck out to me in the article was this part uh, where there's a discussion about how, quote, black officials perform such rebukes in the vernacular of the black working class, which evokes a sense of familiarity, but at the expense of the guilty culprit who has shamed the race. Mm. When the black political class invokes stereotypes or calls for, quote, law and order, it allows them to appear busy addressing the issues plaguing their cities. When in reality, they are merely upholding the long American tradition of blaming blacks for social problems. Hmm. So I highlighted that because such a good quote. It's so good. It's right to the point. This is I think it's a crucial thing to understand because it's a bait and switch. Yes. And it's an appeal to a particular kind of respectability politics too. So that's what that person is then participating in. Is like, well, we we could all we could all escape the scourge of racism if we I think the example here was Michael Nutter talking about yes. buying a belt yes. and pulling up your pants. And like all of that stuff is all it's all coded language mm-hmm. to appeal to and it's all classed coded language and it's all raced coded language and it's multiple things all at once and yeah so th- there's just this appeal to a strict social code right people behaving according to that strict social code and it happens over and over again and it's this shift to to individual responsibility rather than understanding that there's a collective responsibility that we have to one another and that the like our government services has to us as well and so there's there's all of this, I think, bound up in these moments that I think we can all pick out moments. Yes. We've heard this before. She mentions Michael Nutter in this. President Obama participated in this mm-hmm. at times. You know, all, all kinds of folks. And so yeah, it's, it's a, it, I think it's a key piece to understand how that, that kind of issue works. Right. And I think I appreciate this analysis because you're right. We— often
0: can recognize it and see it at play mm-hmm. but you know this is such a brilliant analysis of it and putting it out pen to paper to name what it is and how, you know, I understand there's a lot of things that politicians have to do and messages that have to be communicated, but the ways in which those messages are communicated and how they're targeting certain audiences and what they're saying to Black people about Black people, it's so fascinating when you Mm -hmm. really boil down the language and think about, you know, as she says in this quote, like, upholding the long American tradition of blaming Blacks for social problems, the issues Plaguing our cities. If you just do this, mm. we can all we can get along. The society can keep moving in the way that it needs to, but that doesn't get to the root of the issue. You're not doing anything to address the actual issue at play here when you're upholding, you know, the status quo of American politics, as she puts it. So yeah, I also highlighted that quote a yeah. lot. And, you know, Mayor Nutter, I spent some time living in Philly, so I remember that. She also referenced San Francisco Mayor London Breed, and as you said at the top, Senator Carol Mosley Brown too. There's lots of politicians who have done this, and I think it will continue. So I think that's a great point to take away from this piece. I think taking it a step further, Yangi Yamada taylor applies some of Angela Davis's brilliance to make this point so of course i had to bring that to the table Mm -hmm. so taylor said quote social class and especially political power mediates how racism is experienced and lived in this country angela davis explained this in her interview with gary young quote when the inclusion of black people into the machine of oppression is designed to make that machine work more efficiently then it does not represent progress at all we have more black people in more visible and powerful positions But then we have far more black people who have been pushed down to the bottom of the ladder. When people call for diversity and link it to justice and equality, that's fine. But there's a model of diversity as the difference that makes no difference, the change that brings about no change. Mm -hmm. So to me, there's no, I think there's no doubt, no question that we need more black people in positions of power and political power and fighting for change. But that can't be at the expense of more black people being pushed down to the bottom of the ladder, as Angela Davis says. We need a system. We need this machine, you know, as she says it so brilliantly, to be one that truly cares about and is responsible for and to all of us. So that was the further analysis of what I think you
1: brought up there, too, which was great. Yeah, I think that circles back to, I think, the the full point of the piece that we can't just elect people because they are black or because they are a woman or because yes. they are gay or trans. Those folks getting elected in those positions might just reinforce whatever that machine is absolutely to be more to be seen as more inclusive or as more equitable or as more effective when in reality, it's just the same old stuff with a new face on it, yeah, right. Um, absolutely. So, and you know, we saw
0: that so much with Obama and all
1: that came out after Obama. And see, it's, we're done. We've, yeah. we've achieved it. Right. So, yeah, it's like a, a, a pride cop car. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Or a Black History Month cop car. Uh, all right. Oof. Well, let's shift here. Let's talk about application. <laughs> okay. How does this article apply to our daily lives? My application comes from the concluding paragraph of this article. Quote, "During the uprisings, young workers returned to their jobs even as thousands among us were dying of COVID-19. Threatened by eviction, afraid for the future and infuriated by the insouciance of the millionaires in Congress and in the White House who dither while the world burns, millions of people came together in solidarity despite our differences. That is a start, an opening we can either walk through or turn away from." Now it's up to organizers, activists, and those invested in building a mass movement against racism and inequality to create organizations and other entry points. A new left will not just be willed into existence. We must organize and build it together on the basis of radical politics. So there's not much to add to that. No. uh, (laughs) That's so brilliant. At all. Uh, But... we collectively have to keep it moving and we have to keep the ball rolling. Yes. And there are thousands, millions of people who are looking for something better in this world that we currently have. And they're looking for ways that they can make a difference. And so many people believe that they can't make a difference just as themselves as an individual. When we can connect with one another and create something like an organization or a movement or whatever, we can create something that changes the things that people are all collectively looking for, all collectively in favor for Absolutely. to a great extent. And yeah, so I, we have to you know, get ourselves together to build something that responds to the needs of everyone to build the world that we all deserve. Absolutely. I love
0: you talking about connection there. I think mm-hmm. we have to connect with one another. We have to understand and and appreciate our shared humanity um, mm-hmm. you know, in this work and in this life that we live. I think that only will make us stronger and help yeah. us continue that work. So yeah, that last paragraph was was tough to beat when I'm trying <laughs> to think about my application. I think my application is hopefully gonna build on what you just shared there. Uh, there was a paragraph just a little bit earlier in the article that I I highlighted and, and sat with for a minute. It was this quote, black America, is increasingly immigrant, young, insecure, and skeptical that racial equality can be achieved in their lifetime. The splintering social realities among black people undermine any assumptions that political solidarity is innate, mm-hmm. nor does a politician's racial identity give them an ability to solve long-standing economic crises in a skewed social order. Instead, solidarity is formed through mutual struggle, shared realities like racism and police brutality, and the common experiences of economic precarity, vulnerability to climate change, and bottomless student debt. Mm. Only through collective struggle can we fundamentally change this social order. So I think that speaks to what we just talked about there that connects to your application here. It's that last sentence for me. It's the purest form of the application to me. Only through collective struggle can we fundamentally change this social order. So we know that we are collectively struggling we have to channel that struggle Mm. and work together to bring about the changes we need for our liberation so that to me is the that's the north star
1: (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. the work we need to do so yeah yeah. absolutely i highlighted that one too that was a uh, another choice that i had just Just a powerful piece Yeah. yeah All right. Well, let's talk about homework. What do we want to do to continue learning about this beyond our conversation today? I'm going to add some books to our ever-growing reading list. <laughs> okay. Uh, both by Kian Ginghamata Taylor, "Race for Profit," which is about how exploitative real estate practices continued well after housing discrimination was banned. Mm. And from Black Lives Matter to Black Liberation, which surveys the historical and contemporary ravages of racism and persistence of structural inequalities such as mass incarceration and black unemployment. So both seem like great things for us to dive into at some point right here on the podcast. Yes. And I don't Please. know when that'll be because that reading list is yeah <laughs> uh, unmanageable <laughs> at this point. But... Uh, we'll we'll get to them at some point i think no yeah. they
0: both sound incredible so mm-hmm. i think we do need to look through this ever <laughs> growing list and make a plan because uh, i'd love to read those books at least one of them this year maybe we can commit to that How about yeah that? at least that. we
1: haven't planned all the books for this year. that's yet. true so we've got
0: some time all right let's mm-hmm. do that i love that that's good stuff uh, for me, I was thinking about the some of the links in this piece. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd love to dive more into the data that she referenced in this piece from the Pew Research Center uh, on Black identity and interracial connections and community. So I clicked on one of the links, and it was had 2022 data in there. So it's pretty recent, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of pretty amazing stuff in there. And clicking through just the Pew Research Center's entire website. I mean, they've surveyed lots of communities and lots of people, and they have folks' ideas and thoughts on this life that we live and the things that they need. And so it looks like a really cool website with lots of great data. And I'm not always a data guy, but I was clicking through and I was fascinated. So I just want to see what more I can learn from the data directly that she referenced in this piece, but also everything else that the Pew Research Center has to offer. Oh, that's cool. I have not I don't think I've ever dug into anything from Pew yeah Research no, not until, or like that, yeah, <laughs> not until this, so yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff in there, which I think we could learn a lot from
1: all right, great, um next episode uh. <laughs> Just kidding. Damon, uh, you're up next time. I don't choose. So what are you bringing to the table in our next episode? Oh, man. What if I call an audible <laughs> right now and do that? No. For next week,
0: I'm going to bring a resource from our friends over at Interrupting Criminalization to the table for us to talk about. I think we were able to have some really incredible conversations about what we learned from some of their other resources mm-hmm. uh, at the end of last year. So I wanted us to continue that party into the new year. So the resource we're going to talk about next week is called Painting the Ocean and the Sky. And Interrupting Criminalization describes it as, a quote, a resource for anyone working to build collective, community-based, non-carceral responses to crisis. This piece helps refine some necessary language that current abolitionist activists and organizers are using in this work, And helps us to make critical distinctions and ask ourselves critical questions as we build and learn from our work together. Mm. And so it's another well-designed, beautiful piece, lots of incredible graphics and and imagery. But it looks like it also just has some really helpful information and resources. And particularly for, I think, organizers engaged in abolition work and movement Mm -hmm. work. But I think there's probably a lot we can learn from it and take from it. So I'm excited for us to read it and talk about it on the pod next week
1: yeah they always have great cover art yes there's always great Artwork incorporated yes. into all of the stuff that they put out on their website. So yeah. kudos to that. And I'm looking forward to reading this a lot because uh, it sounds really incredible. And and one of our pieces of homework from last year was to learn more about how we can work together outside of the current norms. Yes. When we talked about abolition and the state. right? Uh, and this, this follows up on that, I think. Yeah. To learn about transformative justice is a community-based process outside of the the current way that we operate, right? That's so, true. Right? I like
0: to deliver on our homework promises. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> Sometimes we do that. Yes. All right. Well, that's it for this week. All right. So we want to thank you for joining us today. You know what I'm going to ask you to do here, but in case you forgot, please follow, leave a rating and review, share a podcast with the people in your life. Follow us on social media, including Instagram and TikTok. Check us out on YouTube and sign up for our email list to get notified about any new things we've got going on behind the scenes. Yes. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's not about us,
0: but it is about all of us. We'll talk to you next week.